Alrighty, so welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. Adam, I was working on our writ drop uh, sound effect or soundtrack, but it, it, it just, sorry, it didn't happen uh, before airtime. I mean, we knew it was coming too, but uh, I apologize. <laughs> Maybe for the, uh, I don't know. Actually, I've kind of had two writs dropped, didn't we? <laughs> Municipal isn't really a writ dropping. It's more like a strongly worded press release. <laughs> uh, By the way. I mean, yeah. it's that's not unfair, but uh, <laughs> I, I think... Know. I mean, considering how uh, it's funny, you should mention that. Here, I got a good sound effect for it here. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, considering considering, um, how quiet it's been for the local local papers, uh, people handing in their papers so far, we got two. And I keep hearing about like lineups in like Kitchener and Waterloo and Cambridge, and and people are really not well. Well, one of them is Cam, right? One of them is Cam, yes. Right. He told us last summer he was running for re-election. That was an open source of scoop. Anyway, open source is a CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. But this week will be Ward 4 City Councilor Mike Salisbury, a.k.a. the toast of Springfield, Missouri's multimedia art scene, and we were going to talk about that. Plus, his announcement this week that he's not running for re-election, so um, quite a bit to chat about. That's going to be at the bottom of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about a few news items from the last week, including the start of the provincial election, which, as we just said, is officially on. And we will talk about some of the long odds for the opposition parties. But first, uh, back to Ukraine. Uh, The big news seems to be the last stand at the Azovstal um, plant in Mariupol. Uh, They did get about 69 people out, out of the hundreds of civilians who are sheltering in that steel plant. It seems like it's close to the end of uh, that siege. It's been going on for two weeks, but uh, 11 square kilometers is how big this facility is. Uh, The Russians say there are about 2,000 fighters inside. We're going to take that with a grain of salt. Um, But yeah, the good news was some people were able to get out of Mariupol. There was a a humanitarian corridor that the Russians uh, somehow managed to not turn into a shooting gallery for once. And uh, so, so there were several people who were able to get out. Still several people that remain still a lot of shall we say unanswered questions about what comes next especially with may 9 just a couple of days away yeah i th- I'm, there's a lot of speculation as to what the victory will be and mm-hmm. i suspect one of the things will be the uh as a battalion in a cage as russia is wont to do when with every trial you end up in a cage you've probably of course you've seen it adam but mm-hmm. Uh, which is a really strange kind of throwback thing, but that is just how they work it. So I suspect that may be the victory that they're looking for. And they did say, now they say a lot, but that the civilians will be uh, let go, I guess, in, presumably in another corridor of some kind. And I guess this this is a good example of the Red Cross and the UN doing 
what they do and working together mm-hmm. uh, to get people out. It sounds like there's a heck of a lot of injured people in there, particularly soldiers. Mm-hmm. And so I did see one report of a young woman who had gotten out. She said they're just dying in there. So um, coming to a head now, and I did, I saw there was a, some footage of a, like what looked like a carpet bombing of the place. Now it was designed with uh, part of its design. It's been around, I think since the thirties there, there's nuclear bunkers in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, reflecting the Cold War time, which is a, a bit of a throwback, but it may have actually saved those people's lives. But so, yeah, whether that will be the victory. Another suggestion about the so-called victory that's going to be announced is that they, Russia might formally declare war on Ukraine, which never happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still the special operation. Now, they've denied that, but they also denied they were going to invade Ukraine <laughs> as well. So who knows what to believe? And, you know, conversely, I didn't realize this. Ukraine hasn't formally declared war on on, on Russia either. So we have this um, situation where the, the, the Russian war, the Ukrainian-Russian war, no one's formally said this is a war yet. Um, I don't know what would change if that happened. Um, probably not too much at this point, but it you know it remains to be seen what will happen on May 9th. Will Putin get some kind of propaganda victory, which is what the goal is. But it, in terms of the front, I, it doesn't look like there's any, I mean, there's obviously back and forth going on. There's no movement on the front, although there's been more pot shots at cities. I guess let's keep people on their toes, right? They're right. Just Lviv got bombed again in some other places to just like, don't let your guard down because that's what's happening. Yeah, there was a chemical plant in a town called uh, Ad- Avdivka, which 10 workers were killed. And it looked like that was kind of purposeful. It was like at a shift change. So the workers are leaving to go out and get the bus home. And then there's a, a missile attack on a chemical plant. Um, but it, it's interesting. There was this U.S. Uh, a report from U.S. officials that says that the Russian war effort right now, they describe it as anemic, um, which means you know, they'll essentially go into a place, declare victory, and then move out, and then the Ukrainian forces move back in and retake it. So, I mean, that's, hmm. I mean, that's some optics stuff going on because, you know, I guess you can go in and say, like, yeah, we just took this town, you take some video, you take some pictures, and then you, 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 you strategically um, move on, uh, and then you can, you know, throw that on the old state-run media. Um, the Russian, this is also from the U S report. The Russians are still, uh, fighting a lot of the same problems. They have, uh, poor command and control. They have lower morale among the troops. Um, they have, uh, issues with supply lines. And indeed the Ukrainians are, have seem to have been striking at the supply lines. So making all those efforts even harder. So yeah, it, it could be that they're saving their, gunpowder so to speak for to do something on may 9th to come out swinging because it's like victory day and this is the day we will defeat like you know this Mm. this is the symbolic day where the nazis the real nazis were once defeated we are going to go after the nazis again which is what they've been doing in ukraine is saying they're trying to roust out the nazis to the point where even sergey lavrov the foreign minister comes out and says uh is is pushing this to an italian reporter who says yeah, but uh, Zelensky is Jewish, and <laughs> Lavrov pulls up this old chestnut. Well, Hitler was half Jewish, you know, which is this long-running conspiracy theory that 
uh, Hitler was a self-hating Jew, going back to his grandfather. Historically speaking, we don't know who Hitler's grandfather was. Um, you know, the 19th century was not a paragon for record keeping, especially when there's, you know, hunt, <laughs> when there's wars every couple of years. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, this. I mean, this is not great. This is like straight up conspiracy level, you know, coast to coast AM nonsense. And it's coming out of the mouth of a foreign minister at a time of war. Um, it didn't work for Adolf Eichmann. Adolf Eichmann tried to make that argument when he was put on trial for war crimes in Israel. Um, so it's not going to work for Lavrov either. And it just makes them look small and silly, which doesn't help the war effort at all if you're trying to look tough right before an important anniversary i mean i I doubt anyone in russia is sort of getting this insight but uh it's certainly not helping with the international image at all well unlike eichmann lavrov is going to end up on the war criminals list (laughs) if he isn't already which i'm pretty sure he is along with putin and some others uh there have been a few uh people in russia sanctioned again by the uh, european community Mm -hmm. um officers suspected of war crimes and others people involved with the kremlin but also people uh with the russian orthodox church who are pretty much putin's enablers mm. in a lot of ways mm-hmm. uh, i won't even touch on that propaganda feed i just kind of read things that come out. it's like really but and, you know so there are lots of parallels between them and uh let's just say other totalitarian regimes uh <laughs> without going too deep into that but yeah so and the EU it was announced uh, Wednesday that uh, the EU is going to cut off uh, Russian oil completely or as completely as possible. Mm-hmm. Although a couple of hungry, uh, hungries, Hungary, who is uh, almost completely dependent on Russian oil, says that they will veto it. I'm not really sure structurally how it works with them, but Russia, uh, Hungary and Slovakia are very, very dependent on russian oil for their energy so the rest of the european community will need to come up with some kind of uh plan for them or a deal if if if, uh they're going to survive and of course on the news of that oil went up in price so there you go well Uh, one one would assume if they are making the move to ban russian oil there is a plan to um to, to to be able to fill the gaps if um you know you're you know considering the dependency on the Russian product, you don't just say like, yeah, we're going to stop. I mean, that's kind of what's stopped them from doing it before. If you could have gotten off Russian oil before they would have, but um, I may be assuming too much of governments, but I don't think you make a declaration about cutting your own uh, oil and gas supply without a plan to um, get other, to get other uh, supplies from elsewhere. But yeah, I mean, and it must be serious too, if, if the oil price is going up because it's, um, they, they must be anticipating the pressure on other markets too. Mm-hmm. And it would seem, and they're also excluding the uh, some more banks from the SWIFT system, which is kind of like, if I understand right, it's like interact mm-hmm. for Europe, so or how money changes hands. So the list may be as high as ten. I think it's ten now. So more sanctions of a sort. Will it make a difference? Possibly, but uh, depends where the money is. They said this before, whether it's in Grand Cayman or, but anyway, yeah. And you were you were talking before about um, Russia's kind of keeping their powder dry, maybe holding back a little bit. I did see uh, one report of uh, a missile that had been fired from Russia, from Russian, uh, the Russian side. Mm. And they were it didn't explode. And they were able to date it. It was about fifty years old. So. <laughs> 
the implication from that is that they're digging deep into the reserves or they're just, you know, maybe they're throwing the old junk first. I don't know, but there's, there's a couple of ways that that could go. And one is that, you know, maybe they are uh, really hurting now in terms of supplies and reserves. Um, if, if there's none forthcoming from other countries as they are for the Ukraine, right? Everyone is offering up, it was uh, UK this week. Offering up more money, I think it was five hundred million dollars, but also weapons, vehicles, cash. Everybody—well, not say everybody, but many, many nations, including Canada, yeah, Ukraine, cash, weapons. Vehicles. I mean, the Russian situation sounds like the end of like the movie of uh, the the movie Battleship, the not the board game that it was based on, but the movie Battleship, where essentially they're <laughs> saved by like Pearl Harbor veterans. Uh, in an old World War II ship, it sounds like that's actually unfolding on the Russian front right now, which would be funny if it if there weren't like actual people dying in Ukraine. But mm-hmm. it's uh, I, I mean, it, it is kind of like a perilous time. And like the issues don't seem to be dissuading Putin. Like if you're like having to dig out, you know, your Cold War munitions um, in order to keep the fight up, like how how. How long do you expect to still hold up the fight? I, it just seems like nobody on the Russian side is really thinking ahead. They're just trying to throw whatever they can at the problem. Um, well, it's yeah. interesting you mentioned the Cold War, too, because they see that part of the propaganda way, they seem to be writing this whole hammer and sickle thing. Yeah. And I saw an interview. It was an interview. With, I can't remember the city or town, one of the mayors. And there was the, the some form of Russian media there, and they're trying to get this trying to get a gotcha moment on him saying that, well, you know, you're Ukrainians fought with the Nazis. And, but this, this guy was having none of it. Like he was, he was not, uh, you know, he wasn't taking the bait, I guess. So this is somebody who's been hauled in front of the cameras and refuses to say what needs to be said. So who knows what will happen to him? Yeah. But as we've seen, the uh, Ukrainians are taking the time in the middle of everything that's going on Mm -hmm. to tear down, historic Soviet monuments are up. like that's, you know, they're making a statement in that respect saying, no, we're just getting, you know, we kept these, we're going to get rid of them now, even with everything that is going on. I don't know. Maybe they need the scrap metal, right? So, maybe. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's, uh, it's going to be a strange May 9th. So, well, uh, it may be a strange June 2nd, uh, although maybe not if the polling is any indication uh, the writ was drawn up on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Doug Ford went to the lieutenant governor and uh, she did see fit to dissolve the legislature and uh, start officially start the election. The election has been technically, if not literally, been underway for a while. But if you're looking at the polls, uh, Nano's poll through CTV and CP24, PCs have 36.9% support, liberals have 304 NDP has 23.7. In terms of the preferred premier, Doug Ford, 29.9%. Andrew Horvath, 22.8%. The so-called invisible man, Stephen Del Duca, at 17%. Um, On the flip side, I mean, there's still a lot of wiggle room in this. 11% of people uh, for the premier said none of the above. 11% said they were unsure. And uh, 4% said other. So it's... um, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's anyone's ball game, but um, it'll be interesting to see if any political stuff in the weeks to come shakes loose any of this momentum or any of this sort of 
I don't know, stagnant stagnancy that uh, some of the, the players find themselves in. Yeah, I did. I did see one poll. I thought it was interesting that other in terms of party vote was 5.7. It's almost 6%. Mm-hmm. So that in the past, it, that numbers like that can make a difference, but it just shows you how the range is changing a bit, I guess. Like that, you know, other never used to be like 6%. So mm. I guess that's probably going to some, maybe a little bit to some of the, the fringe parties, as we call them. Uh, <laughs> our favorite thing to talk about, but uh, yeah, but what I want I so far, I mean, I know that I know the gates have just opened, but no talk of COVID yet. You can, mm. you can kind of judge by the levels of masking as to like who, who's actually all over it. Right. NDP, even outside, everybody got a mask on greens, masks on liberals, eh, a little bit. And well, at, like, uh, at Doug Ford's rally on Wednesday night, there's a picture taken out front that says you have to wear, like, we recommend you wear a mask while inside in front of the Toronto Congress Center. So, no, oh, but did I mean, they? that's the question. That's I mean, the question. Yeah. 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 And yeah. But I guess not to go too deep down it, but yeah, it'll, it'll <laughs> interesting to see how much they actually talk about COVID, which has been the issue mm-hmm. for the back half of the, this government. Um, and of course, all the other things like, long-term care homes and healthcare, but there's, there's still time, right? We're just, we're just something that has uh, happened so far though, is, you know, when the language kind of crosses uh, the first thing Doug Ford said after either bef- just before, probably just after dropping the writ in Queens park was talking about not being backwards, like the previous government, mm-hmm. he's going to have a lot of trouble pegging things in the McGinty win liberals this time right now. Mm-hmm. They're trying to tie Del Duca to things that happened because Del Duca was in that government, but then mm-hmm. Del Duca, I don't know if it was coordinated. He used the same line. He's like, the conservatives are backwards. I'm like, Oh my God, is this where this is going already? It's like <laughs> the crosstalk about stuff. And the NDP, of course, is like, well, we just we need to defeat Doug Ford. Mm-hmm. So the usual, right? Well, not on TV. They have to defeat Stephen Del Duca. This guy, he has to go. But what about this guy? What about this guy? Yeah, I don't I don't, <laughs> I don't really judge people on image, but it is always interesting uh, in politics. Like the glasses are gone. Mm-hmm. The yeah. glasses are gone. Lasik is baby. on. Yeah. The every man. This is Del Duca I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh the the um I don't know if you know polling suggested like who is this who's this square with the big glasses? <laughs> I thought they were quite cool actually. Uh but you know, teach their own, right? Uh so yeah, it is it's amazing how they would tweak stuff like just right away. Um but yeah, so that's, oh, and I, I don't know if you saw it. I thought it was interesting, Doug Ford mixing up the Sikh and Muslim faiths on Twitter. Mm. Uh, you probably saw that where he was saying, you know, you know, happy, happy to my Sikh friends or whatever it was. <laughs> uh, no. So, I, you know, mind yeah. you, I'm going to guarantee Doug Ford is not writing that stuff. So maybe one of the, maybe one of the kids mm. didn't get it right. Maybe it's, it's po- not it's, fair to speculate either, but you need to get these things though. right. Uh, yeah, I mean, you do need to sort of get those things right. What I, I find interesting is uh, Doug Ford, I can't, I was trying to remember who said it when we did election night 2018. Um, I think it was Christopher who made the prediction that Doug Ford wasn't going to make it to the end of the term. Oh, and um, that's something I would say too, probably. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, but, I mean, here, here he is, and he's not just like, He's not just in it, but he's like, he's really enthused. He seems enthusiastic. So, yeah, it, I, I find that interesting. Um, 
I also find it interesting that uh, both <laughs> both the PCs and the NDP are sort of, you know, at least in their ad campaigns, are sort of targeting Stephen Del Duca. Um, and, and maybe that's sort of justified, like in, in that Nanos poll um, in the GTA, there's apparently a one point difference between the PCs and the liberals. So, you know, I, I do find it kind of interesting that and it, we, I think we talked about the poll last week where like six out of 10 people didn't know who Stephen Del Duca was. Um, but so, I, I mean, I find it interesting that the liberals are way up, <laughs> but no one wants, I mean, maybe it speaks to just like the, the schizophrenia that voters have. It's like, well, maybe we can have the PCs, but with like Andrea Horvath as leader, I don't know. Um, it, it is kind of curious. One thing I did note though, is um, the, the finish, the, the polls for the two new right-wing parties, new blue and Ontario uh, new blue has less than 1% support as 0.9% support. Ontario party has little less than 3% support, oh. but I mean, you still have the Ontario PCs up like pretty much close to, if not already in majority territory. So what effect are these, these new parties going to have seems kind of negligible on, uh, well, I guess, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your political point of view, but it, it just seems like maybe they're going to be a non-factor or maybe what support they're getting are, you know, sort of people who, um, you know, wouldn't be part of the norm, you know, like what the PCs were developing too. people who weren't necessarily part of the political process and, and going out there for other parties but people who are kind of coming into the political process because they have a party that sort of reflects their values more now. Yeah, and it, it's it, it's probably the people's effect, right? Mm. I don't think the numbers will be that high necessarily, but it, you know, it it's not outside the realm of possibility that there'll be some fringers getting um, some high vote counts this time. But again, as you say, with the margins. Now, I said this before too, and the pattern holds that mm-hmm. since the '60s, since the 1960s, the Ontario government and the federal government never mesh up it is it's mm-hmm. always an opposite, not necessarily an opposite. It's a different party mm-hmm. with some like marginal exceptions, but it's, it's, you know, conservatives in Ottawa, liberals in Ontario mm-hmm. and vice versa. Right. Mm-hmm. With the one exception of the NDP, but again, it was a, a um, left-wing party. Yeah. So there you go. So it's, yeah. it's just, it's not opposite, but it's a, it's a different party. So that's, that pattern is expected to hold and it it's an interesting one too i don't i don't like I, everybody knows about it but i don't think it's really been explained as to why it happened but you know mentioning ottawa i thought mm. the car announcement was interesting the electric car announcement with a stellardis which i had i didn't even realize that chrysler had become stellardis that's much attention <laughs> it sounds like stellardis it sounds like something you take for you know sore joints or something yeah um, it does but, sound like yeah <laughs> that's why i choose stellardis for my electric vehicle needs but it sounds like <laughs> Like it served both of them really well. When I say both, oh, yeah. like not just Doug Ford and Trudeau, but the, both of the parties, you know, and it sounds like the company came, decided on when the announcement was going to be, which I thought was interesting. Like, really? This wasn't like any of the parties driving it. Cause normally when you see these announcements in various factories and whatever environments like that, that you would think it was, it was arranged as it tends to be in a, in election season, but it just, it just pre, it was just like, minutes before the writ right so yeah. so they it, i guess it was kind of they can not say what they want necessarily but it you know makes it makes them look 
good. And and Doug Fordhead, you know, I you know, he it's, has always like shout out to the feds for helping us out. So that you know that is a progressive conservative, I guess, right? Say we want about Doug Ford. It's like rather than you know the the animosity levels that you see with UCP and others. Um, and I know Doug Ford wouldn't hesitate and those in his party uh, mm-hmm. to take shots at the liberal feds, but it, it's, it's very strategic and probably, mm-hmm. probably wise. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think, you know, sort of, sort of working with private companies in the EV market is good business, no matter what political party you are. So uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't exactly call it an ideological swing, although, you know, this is, the government that came into office and said, we're going to yank out all these EV chargers are pointless. And yeah, you know, four years Amazing later, what, for, the difference a few years will make. Eh? I do want to adjust the green party really quick because I was, I, I was literally looking at polling and things today. So I, I do want to, I do want to talk about it a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Schreiner, obviously running for reelection here in Guelph. Um, and I think a lot of people are like, well, can his success be replicated in other parts of the province? Uh, maybe, he did win Guelph with a like he won Guelph in a blowout. He won twenty nine thousand votes, which was almost twice as many as his next candidate. It was a blowout. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, like where else in the province might someone have a good chance? And I was looking at the the, the last re- election results um, in the writing of uh, Barry Springwater or a Mullane. Uh, the the candidate there got five thousand votes last election, so not. Hmm. It, it's doable, but um, they're running against Doug Downey, who is the uh, attorney general. And uh, then Dufferin Callan was also a good choice, but it is Sylvia Jones. And th- the thing I'll say about Sylvia Jones is she's probably one of the least controversial cabinet ministers in the hmm. Ford government. Um, but she is running against a pretty solid candidate, green candidate, Laura, Laura Campbell. I, my recommendation is to watch Perry Sound Muskoka. Yeah. Because Norm Miller is retiring. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an open seat. Matt Richter was the candidate in 2018. He's the candidate in 2022. He got just short of 9,500 votes in 2018. So that would be, a, I mean, that would be a place where he could, like, where the Green Party could build some momentum. So Watch Perry Sound Muskoka is my recommendation. Yeah. And one of the early endorsements out of the gate, the OSSTF came up with their list, the Teachers Secondary School Teachers Federation. Mm-hmm. And they endorsed Matt Richter. They endorsed Mike Schreiner this time and last time. Mm-hmm. But that, I thought that was it because normally the, the list, there's no green on the list with teachers. And that it's usually liberals and new Democrats, right? Yep. It's never conservatives. Never. I don't think I've seen that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's, it, it's it's very very possible uh having recently talked to karen littlewood uh for the politicast uh who is the head of the ossdf oh, yeah. i would yeah. say yes she does not <laughs> she does not see a lot of teachers support in the bc bench <laughs> all right we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with uh mike schreiner international internationally renowned artist and board four city councilor mike schreiner our Jeez, I just said Mike Schreiner, didn't I? Yeah, Mike Salisbury. <laughs> Mike Salisbury, Mike Salisbury, Mike Salisbury. I'm going to get that on the tip of my tongue before we go to the interview. You're listening to Open Sources Guelph. You're on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Il faut jamais que tu lui laisses savoir ce que tu vas faire. 
C'est déjà assez difficile de compter un but sans céder un avantage supplémentaire au gardien. Donc, pousse toujours la rondelle à côté de toi. Il ne pourra pas deviner ton intention. Ensuite, s'il recueille jusqu'au filet, lance. S'il reste à l'extérieur, fais semblant de lancer. L'attaquant doit toujours réagir à la position du gardien. C'est pour ça qu'il est très important d'avoir l'esprit clair. Tu sais qu'à pleine vitesse, avec deux ou trois joueurs à ta poursuite, tu as peut-être un quart de seconde pour regarder. That was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records, 21 McDonnell in downtown Guelph. I don't think they'll have that album in stock because it's kind of obscure. Probably one of the more weird albums ever to be made in this nation. That was the late Guy Lafleur from his album Le Fleur, 1979, recorded in both French and English. Hot tips on how to be a really good hockey player with a disco soundtrack. And that song was called Marqué un but, which means, of course, to score a goal, which he was very, very adept at. Mm-hmm. I still watch hockey when uh, part of the reason, one of the reasons why, to watch Lafleur skate through the whole team and put one in. So... I kind of relate to the, the, the sympathies out there right now. And then I, I pretty much gave up on Loki. But uh, great album. <laughs> Probably should smoke up before you listen to it. Or I... <laughs> okay. Wow. Uh, I was going <laughs> to say, I think like every, everyone in the sixties tried to cut an album once, you know, with like, you know, William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, Gila Fleur. So. Oh yeah. Those are beautiful too. We should. It was a golden age. Yeah. Oh, um, it's a golden age for media arts. Uh, at least I, it's a good segue to me to talk about Mike Salisbury, <laughs> who uh, has been away uh, from Guelph the last couple of weeks. He was setting up a little install, not a little installation, but he was setting up a pretty big installation. It was at least a pretty big deal in Springfield, Missouri. And so he was like all over the news there. You could watch Mike Salisbury's appearance on like a Springfield, <laughs> Missouri morning show. It's crazy. Wow. Um but he did come back to earth and come back to open sources to talk about uh, being on the art scene, but also mostly to talk about his time as a city councilor, which is uh, sadly coming to an end. Uh, he has announced he is stepping away to make room for more voices. And we will let him uh, explain himself in the interview we did earlier this week, starting right now. Okay. Mike Salisbury. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Adam. Uh, we're going to get to your breaking news in a sec, but uh, you, you were making the news in other ways uh, in Missouri, of all places. Uh, why don't you tell us what you've been up to the last couple of weeks that uh, got you a great deal of press attention in Springfield, Missouri? Yeah, yeah, no, it was I think I really underestimated the how important it was to them that they had their first international exhibitor. So I, 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 I installed one of my uh, sculptural installations in Sculpture Walk Springfield. And that kind of came out of a, a mentorship program I did through the Guelph Arts Council and looked at, you know, what am I doing? How am I doing it? How do I want to be successful in that endeavor? And, uh, and I, I thought it was a good idea at the time. I thought, yeah, this, they, the, the, the quality of, of sculptures that they exhibit is phenomenal. But the experience was great. Uh, I don't know if I've ever met any a group, a, a city that is as, as um, uh, welcoming and pleasant as they were. And, and we just had such a great time. And yeah, I got a tremendous amount of press because so it was my first international exhibit. But I was their first international exhibitor, so they were as excited to see me as I was to see them. 
So yeah, there's uh, that was fun. How long have you had artistic leanings? People may not know you're you you do landscape architecture as your your side hustle from uh, council, um, but I mean th- there is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Some artistic flourish in 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 designing landscapes, but you know to to be a full artist, how long has that sort of been? Well, I, I left high school and I went to the Toronto School of Art. And going to school full-time and as a poor person, what felt like working full-time and as a young person, which was partying full-time, it, it was not a sustainable uh, time in my life. So I left Toronto with my the tail between my legs and said, oh, I'll come back to this later. Uh, got into bicycles, went back to school to take landscape architecture. And when I, when I found out about that, I didn't know what landscape architecture was. And I still remember to the day, oh, so that's like being an artist that gets paid. I like that. And, um, and, and in fact, this transition right now is sort of, I'm grateful for that time and that experience, but for me personally, it was a cop out. Mm. It was, I didn't think that I, I, I didn't think that I could do it on my own. So I needed to have some other type of, of recognition that would allow me to, 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 to get paid. And, uh, so I did that mentorship program and I approached it as a, like a business planning exercise and, and decided, well, if not now, then when? And, and part of that was, was really a pandemic thing. Uh, my business dried up over the last two years, mostly schools and institutions. So um, I had my first solo exhibit at Silence in, I think, 2019, 2018. Um, and it's just, it's just I've continued to do it. And, and then I guess about halfway through the pandemic, I said, well, why, why am I waiting? Why am I? And, and then when I as part of the exercise, I did goal setting. And uh, one of them was, well, you know, I wouldn't mind, you know, replacing the, the, the meager earnings I make from city council, which don't get me wrong, I'm super grateful for it. Um, <laughs> but it was, it's not a high bar, right? Like, it's like, okay, you should be able to, to, to do that. Um, and then when I asked myself, well, why would I want to do that? It was like, well, I don't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And that shocked me because I love the job. I thought having a seat at the table and making important decisions that affect our, our community it's been great. Mm-hmm. So I, this kind of gets into that breaking news I mentioned, you know, you announcing that you're, you don't intend to run again. So um, I, I guess from, from what you've described, it kind of sounds like in, in that we hope that uh, our politicians always make this decision based on, you know, sort of what's best for the city. But are, are you saying that maybe your heart isn't in it anymore? Well, there's two. There was two. And, and there was a, 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 a supporter of mine. He used to be a neighbor. Oh, he's been so supportive. Runs a local gas station. And it was about six months ago. He made some comment about, so I suppose you're becoming a career politician. Mm. And, you know, that was one of the things I ran against. I thought, well, that's not a good idea. We should have new blood. And, uh, and I was so quick to go, oh, no, 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 we're not full time, we're part time. But he was right, right? Like when he, I, I looked at why it has been a while, uh, because I love it. And I'd like to think I'm half decent at it. I bring a perspective that, that contributes in some way. And, uh, but he was right. It's like, there is a, there is value to a new perspective. Um, and quite frankly, I thought that over the last, over the pandemic, we, we, dealt with huge policy issues you know multiple master plans an official plan update so there's a there's a whole lot of housekeeping that feels like we've really 
we've come out of this this global phenomenon that had the potential to destroy everything. Mm. We've come out in pretty good shape, and we've got plans and 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 vision going forward. It feels like the house is in order, mm. and that maybe now is a good time to really look at what is it I want to do with the rest of my life. Mm. It's interesting though, because I. A couple of months ago, we had your colleague Leanne Caron on the show, and she and we, we of course asked the question, you know, are you planning on run again? She was in, still is, so far as I know, in the undecided category, and she says, well, you know, there's uh, a lot of unfinished work that you know she would like to see the end of, and I and imagine it's the same for your colleagues. Um, you you have no, I, I guess you're coming at it from the opposite point of view. You've accomplished a lot, and now is the time to sort of yes. step away. It's an exercise in acceptance as well, though. I, I One of the last meetings just yesterday, I went to um, the community working group working on the on the bike park. Mm. I've been working on that. I've been pushing that stone up the hill for probably 15 years. 15 years, right? Is it in the ground? No. The skate park is. That was sort of, that was tied into it as well. So I, that was one of those things that I drive by and go, oh, it feels good. I had a piece mm. of that. You know, I helped that happen. Um, no, there's, it's never finished, right? Mm. And even if I think, oh, yeah, we've done most of the heavy lifting, no, because whoever, you know, you never see what's coming down the road, the next, you know, global pandemic or, or, or World War III or who, who knows where. We're, we're in some pretty, pretty uh, volatile times on the planet, climate change. It's like, no, there's no shortage of, of really important work to do. And, and uh, um, yeah. So that's it's it's that's that's where my headspace was on that. This is the darkest timeline. Um, but, you know, you, your message on your website was oddly hopeful and also very encouraging. Yep. Um, so you must have given your experience. You know, you said it's being on city council is, is a great experience, a great learning experience. But you probably have some notion of sort of what kind of perspective it takes to thrive on city council and, and not only that just from a general perspective on city council but what it takes to sort of represent uh your ward which is one of the one of the wards in the city that's practically unchanged in the, the redistricting in terms of the boundary lines that kind of yeah, yeah. now in fact the, the boundary lines i thought were a really good move for ward four we had the ward four it all had sort of extended over the hanlon to halfway to Speedvale or Silver Creek. And, um, and I mean, it, it was there, but it really, that's Ward 3. Um, the, you know, experientially, the ward ends at, at, at the Hanlon, and there's more building going on further west, so it's, it makes sense. Um, yeah, hopeful for sure, because, you know, I've, I've talked to some people that, that, you know, think, oh, you know, can, can I do, can I do that? I've, I've, I don't, you know, I don't have any experience in that, or I, I, uh, I don't know if I, if I'm, you know, some variation on the, am I good enough? Right? Like it's the same thing that we all face whenever we contemplate something that's a little outside of ourselves. Is the first thing is self doubt, and 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 that's why I wrote. I say, you know, it's like, um, what you what you need, I think, in city hall is open mindedness, willingness, and um, uh, and, and to be engaged, right? So if you're if you're engaging the community and you're open-minded, I think the biggest lesson I ever learned, because sometimes, you know, the last couple of terms we've had, 
you know, hard left and hard right factions. It's, it's like politically diverse. Mm. And to sit and realize that regardless as to how bad of an idea I think the other person's bringing forward, <laughs> they are doing it because they believe it's the right thing to make our city a great place. Like at the end of the day, nobody is there for themselves. They are there to, to make the city the best city that they can. Now, your opinion and my opinion may differ wildly, but we're on the same team. We're still trying to do the same thing. And to recognize that and, you know, I'll fight if I think you're wrong, I'll fight and say, hey, I think you're wrong. This is the better way. But it, but from making it personal or any of that kind of stuff, no, we're trying to do the same thing. We just have it. And in fact, we're probably both right. So, mm. you know, when I wrote that, I said, you know, if you've even ever remotely thought about it, do, you know, jump in. N nobody has ever, you know, everyone who's gone into an election and won wondered, can I win an election and can I do the job, including everyone who's ever won an election or ever done the job. Uh, and the city does a really good job of onboarding. It is incredibly complicated. In, like there is so much material. It, it's, it almost takes three, two or three years just to feel like you're even kind of on top of things. But the city does a great job if they're if we're dealing with, say, a wastewater issue, they will they'll bring you up to speed on everything you need to know um, to 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 help make decisions on the on that issue. Um, so, you know, all the hey, I, I don't have the experience. I don't have this, that or the other thing is a, is a normal part of anyone who's considered this. And it doesn't make you any less or less likely to win. Um, mm. So. I was, I, you know, I'm, I would, part of it was I've had a neighbor I've been talking to that, that really wants to, and is held, is being held back by that self-doubt. And I, I hate seeing that. And so I wanted to write something that said, look, yeah, that's normal. Feel that, but do it anyways. And, uh, and at the end of the day, it's a numbers game. You just need to convince about a thousand people that you're worth voting for. <laughs> that's not a lot of people. I, you're not wrong, but, uh, when you when you put the numbers that way looking backwards um you know maybe not just this term but uh your career as a city councillor um do you have you mentioned the skate park and uh you know that is um that is a great addition to the city but you know anything else come to mind in terms of when you think back to your your career as a politician that sort of sticks out as particularly memorable or particularly challenging it's something you feel particularly proud of anything like that well i think for me i mean there's there's a whole list of really unsexy things like <laughs> multi-year financing or um you know uh selling wealth hydro so anyways as far as stuff that i'm proud of it's it'll be stuff in the social realm stuff that touches people's lives i i remember way back first first term uh, there was a problem with with people getting on transit with strollers. And mm. I had somebody who's, who explained to me, it's like, you know, without that, I can't go grocery shopping. I'm a single mom. I, I need help. You know, little things like that, that that we, we made a policy that, that here's the conditions under how this will facilitate that. Those are the kinds of things that I remember really, really, you know, things like the skate park. I go by, I see families and kids using it and, and being out and, 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 and pushing like crazy to get some kind of connectivity for trails. You know, the stuff that touches people um, socially, the library is a, is a classic example. 
it's not built yet, so I'm gonna hold my. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna not not celebrate that one yet, but we'll see in the next decade or so. The strollers. I, it's funny you should mention that because I I do remember what a big issue that was. I think it's also partially solved by the fact that all the new buses have all like all the seats in the front end of the bus flip up so easily now mm-hmm. that I think. Uh, function sort of helps solve that problem too (laughs) it does but it's only that stuff is only there and bought as part of the buses because of the policy that says hey we need to have that for these things Mm -hmm. Uh, but that you know that's just an example and that's what i mean that you know some of the even the small decisions we make on on council have can have a profound impact on the quality of people's lives like think about that you're you're doing things you're making decisions and, and as I say, everyone is trying to do the best. They think they, they're, they're doing the right thing. But, um, you know, these, this impacts people's lives. And, and I'd like to think, you know, the re, one of the reasons, I, I kind of joke, I say, I love wealth. It's, it's one of the best places to live, undoubtedly due to, you know, superior municipal <laughs> governance, right? But, but there's some truth to that. There's like the decisions we make can, can tell us whether we're going to, whether we're, we're one city or another city, philosophically, what we aspire to. Um, you know, there are others who are more pragmatic and say, hey, we need to have lower taxes and that's valid. Uh, but I think that, that one role for municipal governance is to set the bar and say, here's what we're trying to do with our community. Mm-hmm. Here's where we're trying to go with, with this gathering that we have. Uh, I do want to address a couple of issues uh, kind of in the, the news coming out of this week's committee meeting. Um, you proposed uh, at one point, the mayor brought forward a motion to reallocate uh, a portion of the Guelph police budget's 2021 surplus to affordable housing that did pass. You tried to flip it so that the bigger portion goes to affordable housing. And I did make a note of that because you have kind of been more hawkish on the, on, you know, the police budget than I think a lot of your colleagues. Um, It, I, I guess I'm I'm trying to get at some of your thinking on that. I mean, you seem to be the the outlier on that. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. When it comes to the vote, uh, per, perhaps not always when it comes to people's opinions. Mm. But that that you know, it's it's one of the things I've learned in city council. Nothing is simple. Mm. So you think it's simple? No. There's so many weird <laughs> tentacles that go off and and affect so many other things. Having said that, philosophically, the police budget is the single largest line item in our community. So if you want to say, put your money where your mouth is, what is the most important thing in our community? And I and, and that being law enforcement, you know what? I, I, there's absolutely a need for it. I don't know if it satisfies the criteria of being the single largest, most important thing above everything else. Mm. So that tells me that, that, and and the worst part is that that there's nothing we can do about it because the police services board can say, here's how much money we need. And, and all they have to do is say, well, that's what we need to do our job. And they've got, they've got uh, legislation on the side that says, we'll give them the money. So mm, I'm a little, I've always been uncomfortable with that. It's, it's, uh, it's it's uh, it's it's effectively industry oversight on themselves, mm. um, and it doesn't matter whether that's the the mining industry, uh, you know, the aggregate industry, or, or the police services. Uh, there's always going to be a way to to spend more money, uh, and and it's been recognized again and again that so you know we go down the law and order side of things because it makes people comfortable at election time to go law and order, law and order. Um, 
but it's a complicated issue. Housing. I, I remember having a, a, a provincial judge say to me, he says, Mike, why are they making me send people to jail because they're homeless? In other words, yes, they committed a crime, but they committed a crime because they have no quality of life and, and they, you know, they feel they need, that's their way to, to get ahead in the world. So effectively, the solution to so much of the social ills that requires such a massive police budget um, is social services, is, is, um, is housing, is, is, is health related. And would I, you know, if given the opportunity to cut that budget in half, and reallocate that money. I mean, it's the it, it, it's effectively the what it was that uh, defund the police argument. It was terrible uh, positioning. It made it sound very confrontational. But the theory is to take that money and put it towards solving the problem, not incarcerating people for having to live through the problem. Right. Um, and so every chance I get, every chance I got, I would I would look for a way to to do that. And rarely, I think, if ever, found support. But it didn't change my mind. I, I, it, it's, an, it's an important argument to make, though, but a tough pivot because, you know, crime is is so immediate. You know, somebody comes into your backyard and steals your propane tank. You, you feel yep. that viscerally as opposed to the, some of the long term changes we want to make to expand affordable housing, expand mental health like those pivots will take years to come to fruition. It's it, I think that's the point is that you've got something that is as long as you're always framing the solution within an enforcement uh, frame mm. will never be a solution towards the uh, preventative frame. Now that's not true. That's not entirely true because the police themselves know this, mm. you know, the police themselves within their own budget are doing things to try to address um, the core issues. You know, the way that we've policed the downtown, the way that we've policed with, with regards to mental illness and stuff like that. So it's not, it's not a new idea. It's not an idea that's adverse to even the, the, the people, but it's you've, an organization that, that has unlimited ability to ask for funds without right. anything other than their own oversight. I, I, you know, from my, if I was on the police board and that's all I saw, that's all, that's the solution. As a city councilor, when I'm seeing the bigger picture, I'm going, could we spend our money more effectively to solve the problem rather than just incarcerate? So. Mm. Uh, well, speaking of oversight, uh, a great portion of this week's committee meeting dealt with the city finances. Um, obviously, that's that's a big part of the council job. And obviously, a lot of people are concerned about like the state of the finances. City can't run a deficit legally. I mean, there, there are all these, you know, factors running into it. Um, and people are always just generally concerned about the bottom line. They're concerned about their taxes going up. So, I mean, what assurances... I guess on your way out the door, can you offer that uh, the city's finances are in good hands for people who may just be looking at the headlines? Well, just by, by way of context, we've gone through two years that could have, should have, and may have torpedoed our city mm -hmm. um, in, 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 in a manner that would have required, you know, horrible austerity just to keep the boat afloat. And that didn't happen. I mean, that's a lot of that has to do with with uh, other government le levels of support. But it also had to do with uh, almost an obsession over the last few years to build up our reserves. That's what they're for. And mm. in many cases, we use it. So when we when we came out the other end of this year uh, with with a technical deficit, uh, we drew money down from reserves and 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 to, to pay for it. There's been most recently uh, a move to empower our staff to be more nimble 
in their um, uh, scheduling of capital projects and things, in, 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 in basically enabling them to, to move money around to, to respond to it. Little mildly uneasy, but I totally get how that how that where that's coming from. Right. Um. And and uh, the financial the financial state of our city right now is I think is in very good hands. Doesn't mean we don't have challenges. Doesn't mean we don't have to make decisions or make compromises. Um. But we are in a place. Uh, we are far better off than I figured we would be. Um. Mm. Like like fundamentally, we are in a, a very solid position. And we're still moving forward with a number of stuff, a number of policies that will have significant impact on the quality of life in our town. So we haven't, we've, we've missed a lot of the doom and gloom. Um, you know, I think it's inspirational for me. That's one of the reasons I'm going, wow, we, we pulled that off. I think we're in good shape. We're, we're good to go. But yeah, it, tomorrow will bring a whole new host of challenges. Right, right, right. Well, maybe to wrap up, um, I think for anyone who, has a head for politics it's hard to quit even when you're you're quitting so uh are are you planning on staying involved and and how are you planning on staying involved if not at all not at all (laughs) (laughs) i will vote uh and that's not true i mean if something i'll be i'll be like 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 everyone else if something you know i'm I'm gonna be putting my attentions to to what's in my backyard and and if something happens uh, that that requires the public to be engaged like myself then I'll engage. Um, but uh, I had I had my turn at the mic, and uh, you know uh, used it at times verbosely. Um, now's the time for me to sit back and let others run the show. Uh, and it really goes back to that thing. It says even when I disagree, oh, I don't know if that's the right move. It doesn't mean it's not the right move. Mm. Um, it just means that my opinion is slightly different, and I would do it maybe a different way. But you know, most things don't require you know, me to get up and present before city council, but um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to fade off into the background and maybe become that famous artist you talked about and, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and get my moment of glory that way. Well, Mike, uh, I would say you've been a little better than half decent at the job uh, all these years, but uh, I, I appreciate you hopping on with me today. And uh, Anything above 50% is a win. You know? every, that's right. Well, the way I look at it is that if you've really debated a contentious <gasps> issue and half the people don't like it, it's the right answer. Hmm. <laughs> that's another good piece of advice for your likely successor. <laughs> well, thank you again, Mike. Have a great day. All right. So once again, that was... Perhaps for the last time on Open Sources Guelph, Mike Salisbury, Ward 4 City Councilor. So who will take Mike's seat on City Council? Well, we'll have to wait and see. That election is still a couple of months away. Mm. That's, yeah, election year all happening. (laughs) It's election year. It's not just election year. Keeps us a hopping, right? Well, if we get a few more names on the local list, it's yeah, come oh on, God. people. I, re- I sit here, people. I sit here and refresh that page all day to see who's on. <laughs> we that's, need that's not a pandemic thing either. That's just reality. We need some more names on the list so I can feel like my life is worthwhile. Okay. Uh, message received. <laughs> that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. If you want to stay connected to us at our website, go to opensourcesguelph.com. You can find us at Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and you can find us on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you'd like to listen to this show again, you can download it from our website every Monday. You can get it at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app. 
which can be Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, or Spotify. And you can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson. And you can check out my news and politics site at wealthpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter. I may hit the blog again soon. I don't know. <laughs> but in the meantime, check out cfru.ca slash shows for everything that's going on on this fine station. <laughs> I'm trying to think about that line from the Batman when you like you see the signal in the sky. It's not just a warning. It's a threat. <laughs> so when Scotty says he's going to hit the blog, it's not just a and warning. And I'm going to make that the first title. <laughs> this is just a warning. It's a threat. <laughs> For election year. <laughs> yeah. All right. Stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Thursday with the first of our candidate interviews here on Open Sources. And we will see you then. 